With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Gobble, gobble, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry... Jerome Roland couldn't come up with anything at the last second. That's all right. And this is Stuff You Should Know About Turkeys. Yeah. So I need to just apologize at the beginning of this episode because uh, I could not help, and I know I will not be able to help myself from making Vernon, Florida references. Okay. Uh, the, the great, great documentary from Errol Morris, one of the prominent about the citizens of Vernon, Florida in the 1980s and inland Florida panhandle small town mm. and uh, one of the the lead characters in in that documentary was uh, Mr. Henry Shipes he was a turkey hunter okay and all he does is talk about turkey hunting and I know it by heart me and all my friends know it by heart and we quote it a lot so it's really really hard not to just talk like Henry Shipes so I'll try not to cuz it's so random that 99.9% of the people it won't be worth it for like the hundred people that'll think that's the best thing ever. I don't know, man. I, I've found <laughs> over the years that it's good to cater to those people sometimes too, you know? I might throw in an occasional, and I'll explain what I'm talking about maybe. But um, we do need to thank the Humane Society for what the bulk of this uh, research came from this really great, great, great article that someone, a nameless person at the Humane Society, put together from a, a list of great, great sources. So, I was yeah. surprised to see something so thorough. It was really great. It was written by the mysterious Tom T, <laughs> who's really in favor of turkeys, Boo. suspiciously. <laughs> and this um, is Thanksgiving Day, too, so we also need to apologize for, we're not trying to guilt you or anything no, like that. Maybe don't I, listen to this one for a week. I will say, though, Chuck, like, I'm not eating turkey anymore after this, and it's really kind of a pain because turkey's my favorite. My favorite meat of all time is turkey. I know. I'm sorry then. Uh, it is tough. I knew turkeys were pretty cool and pretty smart, um, mm-hmm. but it is it is it is tough to read this stuff and still slice into that bird. Well, it's funny to hear that they are smart because they have such a great reputation for being just totally stupid. But it turns out that that's really not right at all. It's a, at best a human misinterpretation, maybe at worst a cynical um, justification for eating them. Um But one of the first things that we'll remark about turkeys right out of the gate that a lot of people don't know is that Ben Franklin was more in favor of turkeys as America's national emblem, as far as birds go, than he was the bald eagle. He had a big problem with the fact that um, eagles 
don't necessarily hunt as much as they bully other uh, uh-huh. birds for whatever they just hunted. Um, he said that the eagle does not get his living honestly. He steals from the fish hawk and is too lazy to fish for himself. The turkey, however, is much more respectable, a true original native, and a turkey would not hesitate to attack a grenadier of the British guard who should presume <laughs> to invade his farmyard. And after researching turkeys, um, I dare say he was probably right about that. Yeah, and the other thing that I'm surprised he didn't mention was, and also, by the way, male turkeys during the breeding season, literally their head and neck turns red, white, and blue. Yes, I noticed that too. <laughs> like, that is so obvious. Yeah. It's such an obvious pick. Like, at one point during the year, you got a red, white, and blue bird. Yeah, exactly. You see, Let's see a bald eagle do that. Stupid eagle. So, the other thing, the other reason why, um, and, and I think a lot of people think that Franklin said that the, that that needed to be like the uh, great seal of uh, the United States, and that's not the case. Uh, he instead, I think, proposed Moses as the great seal, um, which is odd. But uh, the, another check in Ben Franklin's pro-Turkey stance is that turkeys are indigenous to North America. And there's actually, we're down to two species. Um, one, the, the common turkey, uh, which is the kind that you or I or anybody else living uh, north of Mexico are familiar with. Um, they're all over the place. They're all over the United States and Canada. Um, but the weird thing is, is there's also turkeys in Central and South America. And it turns out that they're a really hardy, adaptable species. And again, way smarter than than you probably give them credit for. Yeah, I mean, turkeys, they do <laughs> like warm weather, but they're they can survive in a lot. Like you said, I remember... Uh, very distinctly when I lived in New Jersey one uh, snowy morning looking into my backyard and there were, it was like a, a painting or something. There were three deer and six wild turkey wow. just walking together through the snow in the backyard. And um, it, I, I didn't know that they would venture that far north, but they are all over the place. Um, they are, uh, did you say the name of the, the, the ones in Mexico? Nope. The uh, oscillated turkeys? Yeah. In the Yucatan Peninsula, in Guatemala and Belize, they are different looking than the turkeys we know. They're smaller, a little shorter. Uh, they have sort of a copper bronze, uh, copper bronze green plumage. And I think the, ma- uh, the male turkeys have larger spurs and do not have beards. And we'll explain what all that is in a minute. Yeah. So if you're talking, if you're talking turkey, <laughs> specifically mm. male turkey, um, another term for them are gobblers or toms. Mm-hmm. Uh, for young uh, young males, they're called jakes. Love that. Uh huh. And then adult females are hens, and then hatchlings, babies of both sexes, um, are called poults. P o u l t s. Yeah, the adult female is going to be about eight to eleven pounds. Adult males about seventeen to twenty one. Um, we mentioned, you know, if you look at a turkey, they've got all kinds of crazy stuff going on on their head. They look, they look like, you know, something from a zombie movie. Yeah. And an ad- every single adult turkey has uh, what's called carnicles, a snood, <laughs> sounds like Dr. Seuss, and, yeah. a, do- and a dewlap. Yeah. Uh, the carnicles are those, those big fleshy things at the bottom of the neck. Bulbous. Uh, the, the snood is the stuff that protrudes from the top of the head and sort of flaps over across the bill, uh-huh. and then that dewlap is that little thin skin under the throat that's so uh, tuggable. Yeah, and if it's just one 
thing of skin that goes vertically down the neck in the front uh, is the dewlap. If it has more than one, um, it's called a waddle. But these these things, the caruncles, the snood, and the dewlap, are the things that make turkeys outrageously ugly to humans. But ironically, those are the things that attract other turkeys. Yeah. They, like you said, change color. They're unique to each turkey. Um, and they um, are, are, like, apparently if you're a, a, a female turkey, you're looking for a guy with a longer snood. That's an attractive thing to you. So I just find that really great that, like, we're like, that is just, those things are just so ugly they could stop clock. And to the turkey, it's like, man, nice snood, buddy. You're looking good. <laughs> yeah, and I think Carnacle Snood and Dewlap would be, like, a great name for a, a comedy bluegrass trio that would be on Hee Haw or something. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, my. Wow. Uh, so the beard that I mentioned too. Um, Wait, males, was that a Vernon, Florida reference? No, no, no. Now no. I'm paranoid. Um, for most turkey strains, the males are the only ones who have a beard, and that is this. It's a feather. It's a modified feather, sort of in the upper chest that keeps mm. growing. Mm. It's like a, uh, you know, if you have a one of those rat tails That's right. that you want to grow out for life. Uh, a lot of hee haw references, I guess. Yeah. Uh, they grow about three to five inches a year, and if Vernon, Florida is to be, um, is, if Vernon, Florida is correct, then Mr. Shipes would point out that the longer the beard, the more sort of prize trophy it is if you're a yeah. turkey hunter. Sure. Like that'd be akin to a, a large rack of antlers because they mount the beard uh, on a little plaque. Right. Um, right. Uh, the other thing about male turkeys that you can differentiate from a female um well, females have feathers that go up the back of their head, so it looks like they have a little mullet going on. Males do not. They have a bare head. And then males also have spurs, like um, dew claws almost, coming off of their legs, and uh, hens typically don't. Right. And like I said, those males during breeding season, they turn, uh, the carnicles go red, the white is the crown of the head, and then the neck and the side of the face go blue. And uh, there's just nothing more American than that. It's true, but that's just the um, the gobblers, right? The hens the don't, don't turn. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like you said, and I think I said first, you can find turkeys all over the place in all sorts of different conditions, um, whether it's hot out, whether it's covered in snow, whether there's deer around. Who cares? Turkeys are down for hanging out. Um, they just need... Uh, or I should say prefer certain kinds of habitats, um, huge uh, trees in a mature forest, and typically they want mast-bearing trees. And mast, I don't remember what we were talking about recently. Oh, I think it was squirrels hiding nuts. Yeah. Mast is like one of my favorite words of all time. It's just so earthy and natural. I just love it. Um, but it means like acorns and um, like tree nuts that, that you can find in North America. And that's one of the things that turkeys eat. So they need lots of trees that have lots of mast. And the other thing is that trees are roosting sites. Turkeys, although they're not typically thought of as um, able to fly, they can fly for short distances and they roost in trees at night, which I, I don't think I've ever seen a turkey in a tree. I haven't either. Um, you know, I see turkeys quite a bit on the side of the road or taking hikes and stuff like that. But I guess it's because at night, I'm not hiking at night, that I've no, never seen a turkey in a tree. Well, sure, yeah, because they're diurnal, right? 
Well, yeah, I'm just saying that, that must be the reason. Like, I always see turkeys sort of just pecking right. around yeah, on no, the trail. I think that's legitimate. I was laughing because you said you made it sound like the, the turkeys were hiking, going on no. hunt. <laughs> well, they're, technically, I guess they cute. are. I could well, see them with, like, big chunky <laughs> socks on and vasque boots, yeah. just being all serious. Uh, but you mentioned their range, their home range is what it's called. And their home range is dictated by how much food is around, how much of that mast is around. Right. And if they, you know, they have pretty big ranges anyway, but if there's a lot of food around, then they may m- maintain like 400 to 1,000 acres, which is huge. And that's if it's abundant. If they don't right. have a lot of food around, they have been known to maintain ranges of 8,000 acres or more. Right. And travel up to 50 miles to different home ranges if they can't. Like, they don't, uh, technically, they don't migrate. But if a bird's maintaining 8,000 acres and traveling 50 miles, they're they're migrating around. Kind of, yeah. But, I mean, that must be a really poor habitat because turkeys are not picky eaters. Um, in addition to mast, they'll eat everything from seeds to lizards. And basically anything they find that's chock full of protein. They typically like things like seeds, plants fruit, berries, that kind of stuff. But they'll eat live animals. Um, they'll eat a snake. Yeah, they'll eat a snake. <laughs> they'll eat insects. crazy? Yep. And then in particular, when uh, a turkey's born, the young turkey, the poult, uh, for the first week or two of their life, they're eating nothing but insects constantly. Yeah. And, you know, that's why they prefer a range. Uh, they like that forest, but they like the forest on the edge of some grassy areas because – that moves them, uh, that gets them closer to those little insects that you're going to find for those poults. Right, exactly. And that's actually where poults are born and raised is in the grassy area at the edge of a forest, which is pretty cool. And just quaint as all get out. It's so it's like cottage core, but for <laughs> animals, you know? Yeah. Uh, if you think that they may need to live near a lake or something to get their water or a river or a stream or any kind of wetland, you are wrong. Um, I'm sure they love that kind of scenery. But they don't need it for water. They can get water, uh, their water intake mm-hmm. from vegetation. They can get it from that morning dew, um, succulent insects, little small pools. Um, they can kind of forage through all that stuff to get enough water. Yeah, I mean, and like when there's like a lot of snow on the ground, they don't hibernate or anything, but they go into like this kind of like uh, just hanging around the tree for days at a time. Yeah, chill mode for sure. And the water intake is just a little bit of snow that they're eating off of the tree. And the food is maybe just a bud or two that they can find on the tree they're sitting on. Yeah, and, you know, they they do well. Turkeys are uh, thriving they eat a lot. They uh, One thing you will not see very much unless they're sick is a skinny turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, undernourished turkeys are pretty rare, uh, like I said, unless there's some sort of disease. Or maybe if it's like in the middle of a really, really long winter, they might that thin up a little bit. But turkeys eat a lot, and they're, they're generally pretty healthy and plump. Right. Um, so like we said, they're diurnal, right? They, they um, are active during the day, just like us humans. Uh, and you said they eat a lot. So they spend a significant amount of time eating. Um, and when they eat, they'll eat just about anything they can come across. But th- when they eat, they eat the thing that they're eating whole, especially if it's something soft like a berry, right? Mm-hmm. They just swallow it whole. It gets digested along the way, and they poop out whatever's left on the other side. But they also eat things like seeds and, and nuts and mast, Um and they have a gizzard, which is like a second stomach that hard stuff gets diverted to. And this, this stomach is basically all muscle. Uh, 
And they also eat, while they're pecking around for food, they also eat little pebbles and stones and bits of like hard things like bone. And those things stay in their gizzard and they become what are called gastrostones or gizzard stones. And they end up basically like a, a rock tumbler that crushes up things like seeds and mast that can then be diverted over to the regular stomach for digestion, which is pretty cool. Yeah, another reason that I kind of identify with turkeys is that they they do chill a lot. They they get busy feeding and stuff and exploring <laughs> around, scraping around, pecking around at the ground. But after they have eaten, they hang around for hours at a time. Uh, they will preen. They will. It's called dusting when they just sort of uh, move around in the loose soil. It's a dirt bath. Yeah, and they kind of just rest basically uh, until a few hours before sunset, and then they start feeding again. Yeah, and then this is this is amazing. Uh, so right before nightfall, though, they go back to those trees at night to sleep, and if they get caught, sort of unaware, it's sort of like a vampire, and they look up and that sun's going down. <laughs> right. They will haul butt back to their tree, like they can run. 10 to 20 miles an hour and fly in short bursts up to 55 miles an hour to get back to those trees. Because once sundown comes, if they're not in their little homestead, which offers a lot of protection, they are, uh, they are in big time danger for predators. Sure. Can you just see a turkey like running back like gobble, 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 yeah. gobble, <laughs> oh, gobble, gobble, gobble. Poor babies. So um, what's uh, what I find interesting about them too is, is a lot of people don't realize – Turkeys are extremely good at seeing and hearing. Mm -hmm. We don't think that they're very good at smelling, but their sight and their hearing are so amazing that it really doesn't matter about the smell. Um, apparently, they have three times the acuity of the average human's eyesight. Um, and then in, in addition to that, they also see in color, which is rare for a bird. Um, and they also have between a 270 and a 300 degree field of vision. Humans have about 180. And the reason why they can see so much around them is because a turkey's eyes are on the side of its head, which on the one hand gives them a disadvantage. They don't have binocular vision like humans do. So they have terrible depth perception, which is why you'll see footage of a turkey looking at something and it'll switch sides of its face that it's looking at you because it's trying to discern depth that way, just kind of quickly creating binocular vision like a flip book. But what it lacks in binocular vision, it makes up for with its um, incredible hearing because their hearing is such they, they can identify the location of a sound really, really well. So they might not be able to see depth, but they can hear depth in addition to all the amazing stuff that they can see. Do you think we should take a break? I just, that's fine. I'm just going to keep talking through the break because I'm just so in love with turkeys right now. All right, we'll be right back. Listen to this. It's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments. And if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. 
Yeah, you know, imagine you're feeling so sick that even the thought of getting out of bed is just too much for you. With Amazon One Medical, you don't have to leave the house. Of course, what good is that if you then have to drag yourself to the pharmacy, but you don't have to do that either because of Amazon Pharmacy. It makes a lot of sense. Delivering things fast is what Amazon is known for, and that's exactly what they do here. They'll deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there for. Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. Hey everybody, Josh and Chuck are here to tell you about a new podcast, Car and Drivers Into Cars, a production of Car and Driver and iHeartMedia's Ruby Studio. That's right. It's hosted by Eddie Alterman and Tony Quiroga. Into Cars is the ultimate podcast for car lovers. Whether you're in the market for a new set of wheels or just love the sound of a V8, Car and Drivers panel of editors and car experts test drive and review today's most compelling new rides. And the best part, Eddie and Tony have no filter. They review cars with the same blend of intelligence, independence, and irreverence that has made Car and Driver a trusted source for news and reviews since 1955. Car and Driver's Into Cars is brought to you by eBay Motors. All the parts you need at the prices you want guaranteed to fit your ride every time visit ebaymotors.com for more eligible items only exclusions apply so jump in buckle up and listen to car and drivers into cars available wherever you get podcasts So, you know, before the break, you were talking about their hearing um, in, in Vernon, Florida, which have you seen that yet still? No? I No, I have not. Got to see it. Okay. It's one of the, one of the greats. Um, documentaries, that is. Uh-huh. But uh, Mr. Shipes really gives the, like, when you listen to this man talk, and I'm not a hunter at all, but you really get a sense that turkey hunting is one of the most challenging hunts that you can undertake. Right. Because of how smart, uh, how smart they are. And he, he says, they are smart Boyd. <laughs> he's one of those guys. <laughs> oh, he's like that, huh? Yeah, yeah. But um, how smart they are. And then that hearing, like, you have to be so quiet. And so uh, all of your movements have to be so deliberate. And even the slightest, like, cracking of a stick, that turkey will poke his head up and then just be gone out of there. So um, although I'm not a hunter at all and, and don't would never shoot an animal, when you listen to this guy, you can't help but be sort of impressed with uh, – or maybe you just fall under his spell <laughs> of, sure. of how much he loved it. I don't know. So, um, yeah, so turkeys are really good at hearing. They're really good at seeing, and they're easily spooked, which all combined makes them very difficult to hunt. Yes. Yeah. So uh, as far as um, their flocking and, and their behaviors, they live in separate flocks, the, the hens and the toms do. And then once the spring comes around, and the days get longer, and then the warmer temperatures sort of start coming in, then the males are going to leave their winter flocks, and they're going to start, you know, now it's it's time to party, basically, with the hens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're going to start, like many animals, there are a lot of uh, rituals of trying to get their attention. They're gobbling. They have a, a peak, uh, a couple of peaks in gobbling. And the first one is at the very beginning of the breeding season, when there are a lot of hens around, and you're, you know, you're trying to make yourself known as a worthy male, then you're going to have a second flock after our, uh, most of the mating has taken place. There's a lot less gobbling going on. And 
but uh, those males who didn't mate, or maybe they did, and they're they're really trying to have another party, basically. Uh-huh. That's when their second peak is going to happen. Right, but in between those two peaks, there's less gobbling because by that time, the hens are like, all right, I'm into this. So the males don't have to try as hard. And apparently that second peak in gobbling is kind of the more desperate. It's like at, um, you know, at, at 1.50 a.m. at the bar. Oh, totally. It's like, does anyone, anyone still want to party, basically? Gobble, gobble. Hey, anybody gobble. around? Go. <laughs> but you got to do it like the, um, the Night of the Roxbury guys. But they're saying gobble <laughs> instead of him, him, him. <laughs> Uh, I think a tom can and will mate with multiple hens, and uh, hens actually may breed with the same male more than once. I don't think anyone has made any argument that they're in love, but uh, you never know. Let's say at the very least they have chemistry. Uh, They're also polygamous. Uh, If you're an eastern wild turkey, uh, they think that they sort of have a harem, basically, where you have a bunch of different hens with one tom until they've mated. Uh, if you are out west, you might see what's called a lek-like system, L-E-K, which is um, it's basically a, 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 I mean, it's sort of group mating and group uh, group gobbling, like a bunch of toms will get together and sort of yeah. gobble together. A lot of All times, right. a group of siblings, like you know, the you know those Carter boys, they get together and put on quite a show for the ladies, that kind <laughs> right. of thing. And that actually makes sense. Um, the the harem makes sense because there's just such an abundance of turkeys that one one Jake or no one Tom can mate with multiple hens all at once, and you know the species continues. But where it's more spread out, for them to all kind of come to one place, it makes sense because it's much more convenient. Um, but also because all these different displays of like manliness of tomliness, I guess. Um, really gets the hens in the mood, so it kind of gets them prepared for mating much more quickly and efficiently, too, which is a, a real advantage of the of the lek system. Yeah, and you actually did not misspeak, because jakes can mate. Um, they're just way less successful because they're jakes. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, I met, maybe there's some hens that sit around and say, like, you know, I'm really more into jakes than toms. Because <laughs> so, it and happens. And the other one's like, Nancy. <laughs> Well, I never, um, but they do. Jake's actually can mate, but you know because it's uh, because they are they attract females by those, those big shows and the best gobbles. They're just usually not quite there yet. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit about. I love we always set up like all the stuff we're going to talk about in every episode, and then we actually talk about like maybe seventy percent of it. <laughs> yeah. But um, the, there's actually there's hierarchies in turkey flocks, which we'll talk about, but. Um, when, like, the Carter brothers show up or mm-hmm. there's young Jakes and older ones, um, depending on the dominance of the turkey, that turkey is much more likely to actually mate, but all the turkeys will be strutting their stuff, getting the hens in the mood. Right. So it's really kind of this communal thing. And that's, that actually makes sense because turkeys, it turns out, are super, super social animals, um, which makes the fact that the hens, once they have mated uh, and go off to lay the eggs— um, they do that themselves. It's basically the one thing they do uh, as individuals, um, but they do. Like, basically, to a hen, they will go off, they will find a nice grassy area at the entrance of a nice um, wood, um, and they will start laying eggs. And they'll lay one egg and cover it up and then leave, and then the next day, usually about the same time, weirdly, they come back and lay another egg covered up. And then as they start laying more and more eggs, they kind of reach, like, this critical 
threshold to where they're like, okay, I'm I'm emotionally invested in these eggs now. I'm just going to stay around here and guard them and then eventually incubate them. And they do. And then about 24 hours before the eggs start to hatch, Chuck, they actually start making um, sounds, basically saying, I'm, I'm about to come out now. Yeah, it's really cute. Uh, this little pipping sounds and this pecking with, <laughs> and this is one of the cutest words I've ever seen. The first little hole uh, that these things make from within the egg to get out is made with an egg tooth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How cute is that? It is very cute. But, I mean, the fact, can you imagine seeing a little turkey egg pipping? It's it's probably amazing. And I know the hen is entranced because the hen starts to make little encouraging clucks, like, come on along, little fellas. Yeah, that's right. Let's get on out. Let's get on out. So and uh, it could take about a day for all these um, poults to hatch. And they are very mobile from the time they are hatched, but they are also very closely bonded to Mama Hen and the siblings for a little while. Um, yeah. A, a pretty short while. For a couple of days, they all sit around together. They um, they imprint on one another. And they one of the big things that they do is they learn what Mama sounds like. Uh, we'll get to the calls later, but there's something called an, called an alarm call, mm-hmm. which is exactly what you think it is. It's a very, very important way to say, "Hey, everybody, get out of here!" There's a, you know, there's a raccoon or a or a, a bobcat in the woods or something, right? And they have to learn their own mother's alarm call, and that's what they're doing uh, in large part for those first couple of days. Yeah, and, and within the first couple of days, and actually. Um couple of weeks, they can't fly. So they're real vulnerable because remember, the uh, the mom nests in, in like grassland, not in the trees. Um, so until they can fly, they can't roost in trees. So their, their big defense is to just scatter and stay still. Yeah. And like, as in frozen still for up to a half an hour, <laughs> if they hear that alarm call, these little baby turkeys yeah. will just freeze like mannequins. It's amazing. It is amazing. Um, one of the things when a, a mother hen uh, gives birth to a brood of poults, there usually there's a one-to-one ratio between males and females, between jakes and, and baby hens, yeah. which I found pretty amazing. Unless, Chuck, something else happens. Yeah, this is, you know, I feel like usually when we cover animals, there's always one really astounding adaptation <laughs> that we cover, a lot of times more than one. Mm-hmm. But in the case of turkeys, they these hens, uh, if they don't find a mate and don't mate, they can still have little babies through parthenogenesis. Uh, they can produce viable eggs. It doesn't happen a lot, it seems like, and the embryos... Um, I think very few of them survive, but it right. is it is medically impossible for a hen to to produce little baby eggs and have one. And if they do have one and it actually lives, it is going to be a male hatchling always. Right. Which is counterintuitive to me, I think. If it's an eleven, uh, if it's an evolutionary adaptation, mm-hmm. it would seem like they would be female. Yeah, but, uh, I, I, don't I don't know. know. But it's like bees, like aren't aren't un unfertilized bee eggs, don't they turn into male drones and it's just the fertilized ones that become female workers? I don't remember. That was a while ago. I'm pretty ago. sure if I remember correctly. So it's weird that it would it would happen like that. But yeah, that's a pretty rare occurrence, that parthenogenesis, you know? Yeah. So um now you've got 
all the all the little poults have hatched and they've they've been running around eating bugs in the grass and it's been about 17 days and now they can fly so they're starting to roost in the tree and at first adorably they're still scared little babies so they roost under their mother's wing at night but as they get a little more confident they'll start to spread out into some of the surrounding branches of the tree in the roost um, and what you've got now is a new flock of turkeys but like I was saying Turkeys are extremely social creatures, so those flocks typically tend to join other flocks, especially mother hens with new poults. They'll live with other flocks of um, mother hens with their own poults, and they'll become these kind of like huge mega flocks where, you know, if you walk through at night, it seemed like every branch of every tree around you was filled with turkeys, and that would happen probably sometime in the spring, like the early mid-spring after the eggs have hatched and the babies are all now roosting in the trees with their moms. Yeah, and here's another one that really tugged on my heartstrings. Uh, A lot of times, once they have joined these other flocks, uh, if you are the only, if you don't have any siblings, if you're the only survivor of your hatch, um, you will oftentimes take up with another mother hen Mm-hmm. And they will sort of adopt you into their little family so you can have siblings. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't knock your socks off, <laughs> they also adopt the original mom to come along. Yeah, me too. Basically, they are just like, come and join our family. You only had one little baby that lived, and they need some siblings. So why don't you and your and your little hatchling come along and your little poult and join us? Come have Thanksgiving with us. Um, or- yeah, no, that's they don't say that word. <laughs> So um, you've got the T word is what they say. Yeah, T day. <laughs> um, so there's uh, there's that's one kind of flock. There's also a lot of um, like the Jakes, the the young males in the um, that flock will continue to stay until I believe the fall. And they'll leave and they'll go form other flocks with other jakes and sometimes um, older gobblers. And um, especially with their siblings, too, they'll hang out with them. Um, and then it'll the, the young hens and the mother hens will stay together and form their own flocks. So there's different flocks. But turkeys are so social that they've been found to, if you take a bird, a turkey from its flock and put it somewhere else, it'll basically just stand in one spot and make a, a, a scared sound until you take the the turkey and put it back with its flock. Like they have been shown to be basically debilitated when they're removed from their flock. And I was watching this video um, called Turkey and Dog, Best Friends Are Inseparable. There must I can't be a colon even take in those. There. Those are the best things on the internet. So this turkey and this dog, like seriously, were housemates, friends, like really great friends. And the the woman who adopted the turkey, uh, I think as a poult, um, was like, well, you know, the turkey needs to be on a farm with other turkeys. So she took it to a farm to go live its life as a turkey on a turkey farm. And it did the same thing that I've just described. It just stood in one spot in the barnyard and made this horrible call. For, I think, three days, she let it go on. And then finally, it was like, fine, come back home. Right when she got it back home with the dog, the turkey stopped and was back home and has been there ever since. Ugh. It's definitely worth watching. That video, That will, if you're like, I don't know, I still like to eat turkeys. And once you watch that one, that's that's going to be <laughs> it for you, pal. You can't eat turkeys or dogs anymore. No, I can't eat pigs either. So uh, another, I guess we mentioned the alarm call, turkeys have an astounding ability to communicate with each other. Yeah. Uh, they have a lot of different vocalizations. Uh, Mr. Henry Shipes talks about a lot of those, <laughs> the different kinds of gobbles that a turkey hunter has to be acquainted with and make yourself 
to uh, to attract turkeys. But there, uh, he calls them yelps. Of course, there are three kinds of yelps. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the tree yelp, the plain yelp, and the plain lost call. Uh, and then there are a couple of basic calls: the cluck and the alarm putt. And then a few other just uh, complex calls. There's the cackle, the gobble, and what's called the kiki. But that tree yelp is what they're going to make. That's sort of their morning routine. Uh, The first thing they do in the morning is start tree yelping. And it's basically like, hey, everybody, good morning. How did you sleep? Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) There's the the plain yelp, which is like um, – just during the day, if you want to say, hey, everybody, let's uh, let's come huddle up over here. Because when they eat as a flock, they might spread out over a quarter acre. But we've seen that they uh, will always have at least one constantly looking out. And they'll trade that job off. But there's always at least one bird looking out for the rest of the flock ready to make a call. It might be a plain, plain yelp. It might be an alarm putt. But whatever that, that is, it's going to get the bird's attention very quickly. Right. Uh, then you have that plain loss call. Uh, it's sort of like the plain Yelp, but it's usually louder. Uh, it's got some more urgency to it. Um, and that, they think, is more for family. It's like, hey, you and all your brothers and sisters get over here, toot sweet. Yeah. Um, there's also, what else? The cluck, which yeah. is to say, hey, hey, Chuck, cluck, cluck. Right. Cluck, Chuck. And it's you look spe- up and you say, specific what? specific to a person. <laughs> what? And I say, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. And you go back to eating. <laughs> I just said specific to a person, meaning a turkey person. Right. Uh, a tom or a hen. Um, there's that alarm putt, put, which is basically like, hey, everybody, there's something weird going on. The, the kiki is if a little uh, poult or a younger turkey is a little worried and, and wants to be reassured or doesn't know where everybody is. That's probably a pretty cute one. I, I listen to some of these and... Um, they're not, they're not, uh, it's not onomatopoeia. Like the kiki doesn't sound like a kiki to me. I don't know what they're talking about, but it sounds like a, a, a whine almost. It's weird. And then you have the cackle, which um, that's sort of like hello and goodbye. When you're coming into your roost or you're leaving in your roost, you're going to cackle and say, I'm here. <laughs> right. <laughs> the gobble. Everybody knows the gobble, but it turns sure. out that's actually not that frequent a sound. It's one of the least frequent sounds they make because it's typically made by toms when they're strutting their stuff for, you know, mating to, you yeah. know, get it on. Literally strutting their stuff. Right. Um, and then here is one of the facts of this chock full of fact podcasts. Turkeys purr. And when they purr... It's quite obvious they're purring with contentment exactly like a cat. Yeah. It's pretty neat. I saw another video of a turkey being stroked and petted, and it just curled up on the person's lap purring. Amazing. It is. So the other thing, when, they're, uh, when they've laid these eggs and everything they, and incubating, they will turn them periodically, uh, which is really great. And they are, what they're doing then is they're letting, these, uh, letting them exchange oxygen and CO2 as well as they think, and this makes a lot of sense, keeping the, the little embryo from attaching to one side of the egg. So if it starts to attach, they'll just turn it, and then it'll flop down and not attach itself. Nice. And then there's also re-nesting, right? There is, which is basically like if the if the um, turkey is disturbed during the nesting process, she may go off and create a new nest. I get the impression the other eggs are abandoned. 
Um, or remember we said that she is emotionally invested after a certain point. If she's disturbed, then she just abandons the nest and, and doesn't do any more nesting that season, which is very sad. Yeah, that's super sad. Agreed. So you want to take a break? Let's do it. Okay, we'll be right back, everybody. Listen to this. It's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments. And if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. Yeah, you know, imagine you're feeling so sick that even the thought of getting out of bed is just too much for you. With Amazon One Medical, you don't have to leave the house. Of course, what good is that if you then have to drag yourself to the pharmacy? But you don't have to do that either because of Amazon Pharmacy. It makes a lot of sense. Delivering things fast is what Amazon is known for, and that's exactly what they do here. They'll deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there for. Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. Hey, everybody. Josh and Chuck are here to tell you about a new podcast, Car and Drivers Into Cars, a production of Car and Driver and iHeartMedia's Ruby Studio. That's right. It's hosted by Eddie Alterman and Tony Quiroga. Into Cars is the ultimate podcast for car lovers. Whether you're in the market for a new set of wheels or just love the sound of a V8, Car and Driver's panel of editors and car experts test drive and review today's most compelling new rides. And the best part, Eddie and Tony have no filter. They review cars with the same blend of intelligence, independence, and irreverence that has made Car and Driver a trusted source for news and reviews since 1955. Car and Driver's Into Cars is brought to you by eBay Motors, all the parts you need at the prices you want guaranteed to fit your ride every time visit ebaymotors.com for more eligible items only exclusions apply so jump in buckle up and listen to car and drivers into cars available wherever you get podcasts Hey, everybody, it's time to talk about Squarespace. Squarespace has absolutely everything you could possibly need to build whatever website you're trying to. You can host video content and organize your entire video library, plus showcase it on beautiful video pages. You can use analytics to grow your business and learn where your site visits and sales are coming from. What else, Chuck? Well, buddy, if you got merch, then you can sell it on Squarespace. You can easily sell custom merch and create a passive income stream that engages your audience and scales your brand. Design your products and production, inventory, and shipping are all handled for you, saving you time and money. Yeah, and if your business is appointment-based, you can accept appointments on your Squarespace website. You can offer online or in-person private sessions, workshops, and group classes. And Squarespace provides everything you need to manage your schedule, accept secure payments, and send automatic reminders, all in a beautifully showcased site. So just go to squarespace.com slash stuff and you're going to get a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use our offer code stuff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey, everybody. Did you know that Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico? But 
it's more than just a name. It's a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. Yeah, that's right. It's an island that's filled with adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the entire United States. That's right. Or you can get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico that remind you of why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island. It becomes a part of you. That's right. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. So, Chuck, I think at the beginning I was saying that turkeys are way more intelligent than we think, and that's true, right? They are smart, boy. One <laughs> of the right. smartest we got in this country. <laughs> that's a good, good Vernon, Florida <laughs> accent. He's passed on, by the way. One of the cool, uh, and, and if you're interested in that movie, go see it. And there's also a movie crush episode where one of my really, really good friends, Mike, uh, comes on and talks about Vernon, Florida. And he actually struck up a friendship with Henry Shipes via telephone for the remainder of his life. Oh, that's neat. That's a long telephone call. Well, <laughs> they talked off and on quite a bit. It was really, oh, really gotcha. special. Yeah. I got you. That's cool, man. That, so he just called them out of the blue? Yeah, he and Henry, he, he would call them up. Well, hey, Mike, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> and And this was 20-something years after. Vernon, Florida was from the... I think early 90s or maybe even late 80s. Uh -huh. And so he just, you know, he got a kick out of it that that Mike thought he was famous. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> was That's very cool, man. So you never answered my, oh yeah, you did kind of answer my question. Turkeys are rather smart. There's a, um, a longstanding myth that turkeys are so stupid, they'll actually drown when it's raining because they look up at the rain and the rain falls down their gullet and drowns what? them. I've Have never you not heard, heard that? that? No. It's true. I, I've That's... heard that before. Uh, it's true that there's a myth. The myth itself yeah, is totally, to totally say, wrong. That's um, been observed. Something similar has been observed mistakenly in domesticated birds, meaning like factory farm turkeys. And um, they've actually shown that if that has ever happened, it's not the turkey looking up to see the rain because the turkey wouldn't look up to see something above. It would look from the side of its head because it has monocular vision. Yeah. So Take it wouldn't that. be looking at the rain, and if it is looking up and has ever drowned or something or seemed to have drowned, it was because it was having a certain kind of seizure that apparently domesticated factory farm turkeys have as a, a general condition. They um, they have seizures and actually die uh, from those kind of seizures fairly frequently. So they think some farm worker saw a turkey have a seizure while it was looking up while it was raining and died, and that actually might have given birth to this an incredibly wrong myth. <laughs> it turns out that was my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, they are smart and they have great memories, uh, which is, you know, in the animal kingdom, memory is, is, a, is an interesting thing and a lot of times a pretty good indicator of intelligence and just something more going on there. Uh, wild turkeys have a great memory. They can remember very precise locations. They can go back to the same location miles away at the same exact time of day yeah. to get food. Yep. Uh, so they have a really good internal clock as well and uh, hens and toms. 
They can also check supposedly differentiate human faces. So, like, they can tell humans who are different based on their face, which is pretty smart if you ask me. Oh, totally. Um, they can be a nuisance if you, like, have a farm. Um, uh, their droppings can uh, carry disease at times. But they, you know, they're easily scared, like you said. Like, there's a list of things and how to get rid of turkeys mm-hmm. um, that we came up with. Uh, well, didn't invent, but came up with from experts. <laughs> <laughs> We've been testing them out all week. And, and it seems like all of them are like, you know, turkeys get scared super easily. So scare them off. Or if they're a real problem on your property, put up a, uh, a motion-activated scarecrow or a water sprinkler or something right. like that. Yeah. Um, any kind of loud noise, flailing your arms, that'll get rid of turkeys. They just, they, they, they're scared of you. They, they want to get out of there. They're not aggressive. They can be intimidating if you're a kid because they're big, but even a kid's going to scare a turkey off. Yeah, they they are easy to scare off, but they can also be really intimidating and aggressive, especially if it's a tom during mating season. Um, so you're supposed to do the same thing to turkeys that you do to coyotes, and it's called hazing, where you show them you're dominant. And you can do it by uh, everything from uh, turning the hose on them, um, throwing a tennis ball in their general direction, opening umbrella is a big one. But you're basically saying, like, I'm not scared of you, and in fact, I'm going to scare you off. Because if you don't do that, apparently then they become increasingly more difficult to get rid of because they think they're dominant to you or, say, a family member. And if you combine that with somebody, whether it's you or a neighbor or something, feeding the turkeys or even letting them eat birdseed out of your bird feeder, yeah, um, that's a that, that, that can be a problem, actually, especially if you don't like turkeys running at you. Yeah, and the other really cool fact about hazing is they say that like everyone in your family has to do it if you want to solve your turkey problem. Like right. you've got to get if grandma lives there, she's got to get out there and haze that turkey. Yeah. If you've got a four year old, you gotta send that four year old out there to yeah. haze that turkey. Supervised, I would imagine. Yeah. But like every person in that house has to exert their dominance. Yeah, exert it with extreme prejudice all over that turkey. Gross. <laughs> so um I guess that's it. One thing I saw, Chuck, for Thanksgiving today. of Americans will eat turkey, which actually seems right. doesn't seem high or low. But get this, that translates to 700 million pounds of turkey on average, or 46 million turkeys, all killed and eaten on a single day today. Goodness me. And that's a lot of turkeys. It's a lot of turkeys. Uh, So uh, if you want to know more about turkeys, go watch some turkey and dog friendship videos. And uh, that might make you regret what you just had to eat. And since I said that, it's time for Listener Mail. Uh, Yeah, and before Listener Mail, I just want to close the window on the Vernon, Florida thing. If you uh, don't know what I'm talking about, it was a documentary originally, and this is fairly interesting. Errol Morris went down to this sleepy town, like I said, inland in the Florida panhandle, uh, to do a documentary on these people that live there who would cut off their limbs for insurance money and that was they were it was called Stubtown was the nickname hmm. he went down there no one would talk about it uh, and so he found himself down there without a documentary subject all of a sudden and so he just after talking to these people said well this town is a documentary in and of itself and he just turned the camera on the citizens and there's probably like 10 or 12 of them sort of interviewed through the whole thing that that's cut together and that's all it is, is these people that live in Vernon, Florida. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah, I need to see it one day. 
Yeah, it is It is a cult classic and a true documentary legend. It's really great. Nice. Uh, so listener mail, this comes from Erica. Hey, Josh, Chuck, and Jerry. Listen to the podcast episode on fruit flies. Uh, I want to say that Chuck's pronunciation of the word Drosophila is correct. Wow. Uh, that's rare. Uh, having worked in a basic research laboratory for years, I've often pined for a science dictionary to help with pronouncing scientific terminology and nomenclature. For example, unless you chat with researchers on a regular basis, how would you know to pronounce the gene BRCA1 as BRCA1 and CDO as kiddo, huh. while PD1 is just PD1? I don't know how you would know. <laughs> you wouldn't. You need to make smart friends, I think, is what it comes down to. Uh, that's right. And she says, as long as we're discussing pronunciations, you mentioned in your episode on the U.S. interstate system that Californians add the word the before any freeway, highway number. I've lived in the Bay Area my whole life. I hesitate to generalize for all of Northern California, but at least in the Bay Area, most people uh, say things like the rest of the country, 101, Highway 101, instead of the 101. Anyone who says the 101 is most likely from Southern California. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah. So I guess that is sort of, uh, that makes sense. It's an L.A. thing. Right. Yeah, that's what I always associate it with, for sure. So that is Erica. Well, thanks a lot, Erica. That um, email was just chock full of info, and we appreciate it big time. Thank you. Uh, If you want to be like Erica and send us an email chock full of info, we love them. You can send it off to us at stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Hey, friends, when someone says Amazon, do you think healthcare? Well, maybe you should. Amazon One Medical offers same-day appointments, and if somehow that's still not convenient enough, they have 24-7 virtual care. Not only that, there's also Amazon Pharmacy, so after your virtual care appointment, Amazon will deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. Now, waiting in line with people who are sick with who knows what. It's a new era of healthcare. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful.